What's up gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. And Tori, I'm using tilt controls today for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that in, Mar in Mario Kart on the Wii where like when you were using when other people were using tilt controls and you were playing online, a little message would pop up from their me and they'd be like, I'm using tilt controls. Oh my god. Cool <laughs> flex, bro. It's like, yeah, can, is that to explain how you're about to suck ass at the next race? Like Absolutely. I, I just wow. I, I know like the Wii was necessary to get us to like the world of motion controls, but oh my god, was it janky as oh my god. Like it was terrible. Um, my fa my favorite thing about it though was that like the only games that actually employed the use of the motion controls well were the games that Nintendo made. Everybody else was just on their fucking own. Like there were a couple. Yeah, like Cooking Mama, you had to like like uh kind of like fry <laughs> like holding the frying pan. You're like kind of lifting it and like bombay, yeah. and it was so janky. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember renting Cooking Mama on the Wii from my local Hollywood video, and oh, yeah. like. We would rent it and like come back the next week, and by like two days, my mom was like, "So do you like that game?" And I was like, "No, it sucks. It's terrible." And I sorry, can't, mom. I can't flip the game. pancakes in the frying pan. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite non Nintendo Wii game that I remember renting from a Blockbuster was uh, Boom Blocks. Did you play Boom Blocks? That Are you sounds familiar. familiar. With this? this is the one that Steven Spielberg was involved in for some reason. But it's boom like blocks? a boom blocks with an X. Yeah, it's uh, it's Steven like a weird... Spielberg. Yeah, Steven Spielberg was involved with it for some. He directed it supposedly. What the hell? This looks like Minecraft. It was like a, it was like Jenga, but like you use the Wii remote to like point and throw. Oh my god! I love it in the game. Towers. I'm looking at a picture of it. There's like a Rubik's cube type of structure, and just the Wii mote like horizontal across the screen. I, the original trailer for the game appears to still be up on YouTube, and it's titled <laughs> Official Look at Boomblocks hyphen a Steven Spielberg EA game. <laughs> and then he goes in and it's like, look at this cube penguin and this cube chicken. <laughs> this looks like the shitty online games you get ads for when you're on Facebook. Uh -huh. Or it's like, cheat on his wife, click yes. next. Yes, yeah. It looks just like that. Yeah, it looks it looks exactly some sort like of Minecraft structures. Those mobile game ads that you get on TikTok that are like you have to pull the levers to get the treasure out into the water or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Wow. What a gem. Wow. Really, what a gem. So what's going on in the world of gaming, Noah? Yeah, sorry for that little non sequitur. Um we got some gaming news today. We're probably going to keep this episode a little light. I'm recovering from having COVID and my uh, my talking stamina might not be up to how long it normally is, but I have my trusty podcasting tea with me right here. So mm. we're gonna we're gonna tackle some gaming news. And first, right off the bat, Tori, do you want to tell me a little bit about an itch.io gaming bundle for abortion rights? Yeah, so itch.io is doing another one of their bundles. They've done this periodically, like for trans rights and for Ukraine. And so more than 600 developers have contributed projects to the Indie Bundle for Abortion Funds on itch.io uh -huh. with the fundraising goal of 200k. Um, there's over 750 games uh, at a $3,000 uh, value, but all you have to do is give a minimum donation of $10. And there is just six days left as of July 7th, so up until July 13th. You can grab all these games for ten dollars, and that's just really 
really cool. I've never actually bought an itch bundle, but for people that do and are into that type of thing, like I would recommend this. This is super cool. Yeah. And I really like the idea of, of gaming for a good cause. Yeah. It goes it goes to a good place. If you scroll down on the bundle itself, it says a hundred percent of the proceeds are going to the National Network for Abortion Funds, which is like inarguably a good thing. And another cool thing too is that this was started by uh, the game developer Caro Assertion. And I will link their Twitter and their itch page in the description for the episode. They're a really cool indie dev that makes tabletop supplements and tabletop little one-shot games. They have one particularly really cool one that I've seen and read through called I'm Sorry, Did You Say Street Magic? And it's kind of <laughs> like a it's kind of like a table setting game for an indie RPG that's all focused on like world building and all this stuff and just really cool stuff. I think I actually got that one through the racial justice itch bundle that I got a couple years ago. So it's really cool to see a lot of cross pollination between these developers who like really give a shit about this stuff. And like you said, gaming for a good cause. So Yeah. And now more lighthearted matters. Uh, so a while ago, I think it was last week, there was a lot of like chatter of like, Nintendo is going to announce the Switch Pro. They have a new Switch up their sleeve. Watch out for this. <laughs> and they did unveil a new Switch, but it wasn't that. It was just a Splatoon Switch, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. It actually looks really cute. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're in the mood to upgrade your Switch, yeah, I, I don't think that's what people were counting on. My favorite <laughs> thing about this entire snafu was that I saw this tweet a few days ago that was like, I, I would not I could not possibly find the tweet again, but it was something that was like Nintendo is hoarding resources more than they have since the first Switch came out. They're definitely prepping for something. I remember looking at it thinking like, what the fuck are you What's talking about? What the f like they they were talking about it as if Nintendo was like I don't know, Nintendo was playing StarCraft and they like had a bunch of resources and shit and they were getting ready to build more pylons. Like, what the fuck? How do you know that? What does that mean? Are you actively tracing how much money Nintendo spends on things? Like, none of it made sense to me. It was like peak, like, worm-brained leak culture where people are like, everything has to mean something. It's all connected. Oh, my God. Like, it was just so silly. Yeah, that is, that's real bonkers. I, <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's a really cute Switch. I'm not going to lie. I don't know when you got your Switch. I got mine in 2017, like, literally when it came out. Because I remember running around Orlando trying to get the one that had the, bun the bundle with, like, Mario Kart or something. And it was really hard to find. But my old Switch, I think she's seen better days. Mm -hmm. um, every time I download a new game, I swear to God, I have to delete, like, 12 games. Shit. And, like, it's just kind of questionable with online gameplay. And I'm like, ugh. I had the money and I gave enough of a shit, I might get like an OLED, but yeah, I don't know. Because the OLED does have a slightly better processor in it, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a little stronger. Um, what about yours? Mine's fine. No, I mean, I don't know. I, I souped mine up a, like a year or so ago with a, a bigger onboard memory card. So I've got plenty of storage space because I was running into that issue a lot too early on because the one that it ships with is only like four or eight gigs. So I boosted to a 32 gig. And, like, that has made my quality of life much better. Did you get, like, a SanDisk, like, SD card you just stuck in there? Yeah, just a just a normal Ask SanDisk micro SD. And then, what was it? I had some issue with Joy-Con Drift about two years ago. Because it was, like, 
it was like right around like quarantine time when animal crossing came me out. too oh my god i literally like i literally uh got animal crossing with an extra pair of joy cons yeah. that was so weird it made yeah they just died so hard but i did the thing where i shipped it away to nintendo back when they were doing the free program i'm not sure if they are still doing that but for a bit they oh. were offering a thing where if you just mailed your joy cons in for a repair and said that it was because of drift they would fix it no questions asked so Wow, what the hell? I didn't yeah. know about that at the time, and I was like, oh, God, I guess I have to give up an organ to do this. They, like, and really purposefully underplayed it. Like, it was and not one something. day I spent $130 at fucking GameStop. So. Oh, my God. See, like, they don't they didn't want you to know that there was an alternative to spending $130 at GameStop. And to be fair, like, I didn't have my Joy-Cons for, like, two full weeks. But, like, that's a small price to pay to avoid spending $130. They even paid for the shipping, so... I don't know if that's still a thing they're offering. I think they might have quietly sunset that. But that was during that brief period where, like, Nintendo was getting sued over the drift issues. And they were like, mm. you can send them into us, but we're not going to tell anybody about it. So I'll be real. I still really use my Joy-Cons. Like, I use them if I'm, A, playing undocked, because you have to. Mm-hmm. Or, B, playing some sort of motion game, like Ring Fit Adventure or Nintendo Switch Sports. But if I'm just playing docked, which is how I play... I'd say half the time. Mm-hmm. I use a pro controller or a wired GameCube Switch controller. Oh, um, true. So, That's I do play handheld a lot when Jesse wants to play PS5 games because, like, he can't undock the PS5. Yeah, but I can that is undock true. The Switch, so I'm always like, "Oh, don't worry, I'll pop my Switch out." But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Is this a really cute? Uh, I really like the Joy Cons. They're almost like ombre, very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um. And and yeah, it's 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 something wacky for sure. So speaking of other game consoles that have people bamboozled, yeah, what's going on with this Web three console? So, <laughs> so there's this scam going around right now. I don't mean this is a joke. Like this is a scam. There is a company called Polyum that claims that they are creating the Polyum One a multi-chain, quote-unquote, console for, quote-unquote, Web3 gaming. Tori, what does that what mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What is Web3 gaming? Well, Tori, I'm I'm pleased to tell you that even the folks at Polyum don't know what Web3 gaming is. Oh, this, good. I love when that happens. This is like every good Web3, NFT, DAO, Metaverse bullshit scam where they come up with an idea. And then they go, we are going to refine this idea once we have money. So you have to give us money in order to get that, you know? So Mm. I'm pulling some of my information from a Kotaku article about this that I will drop in the description below. And some of it from a tweet thread by Ryan Broderick, who is on Twitter at at Broderick. He's also the writer behind the newsletter Garbage Day. Very much enjoy Ryan Broderick's work. He also hosts a podcast called The Content Minds. He's very online, but like very, uh, very online with like a monocle and a Sherlock Holmes hat, like very detective-y about his onlineness. So yeah, it, there is no information about this console. Wow, that's great. The, the Kotaku article jokingly points out that Polyum, I'm just going to read from this sentence, a company of such renown that it wasn't even able to get the Twitter handle with just one underscore after the brand name. <laughs> so these motherfuckers have created a console that you know here's the information we have available about the specs we aim to build a high performance console 
The specs you see on the site are not confirmed until we have a functional prototype. So they don't have anything. Like, it's complete, no- it's a nothing burger. Um, some people have pointed out, and you'll see this in the article, in the tweet thread that I'll drop, the Polyum logo is literally just the logo for the GameCube. It is. Yeah. It's literally just the GameCube logo. When asked about that, they said, quote, there are multiple companies that are using a similar logo, but we we will illustrate a new logo that is original. Oh, so they don't even have their own logo yet. They don't even have a fucking logo yet, but you know what but they I, do That have? actually goes with the, re- the, you just have to give them more money. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 you just got to get in, on, get in on the ground floor and you'll help us get our logo. Um, another fun thing that people have pointed out, the controller basically looks like a PS5 controller. It looks... Because they have a they have a mock up design for the console and the yeah controller. I saw this it looks like a Dual Shock but then there was one thing that people on Twitter were noting which is just truly something and it's that there is a wallet button like you hit it and it automatically I guess you hook up your 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 Bitcoin I don't know it like automatically charges you for microtransactions. I guess? Yeah, Can you I pay really... in Bitcoin for these games? If not, that'd be hilarious. Well, the best thing about the wallet button, too, is this is another instance of, like, well, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna be able to access your wallet from in-game. We don't know what that means. We can't tell you what that means. And I don't know. I feel like this is not notable enough to, like, really raise any alarm bells more than most crypto schemes. But it's just kind of funny because there have been more instances than just this where crypto creeps have kind of gone after gaming and been like, oh, we're going to make a game on the blockchain and this kind of thing. But when pressed about what that actually fucking means, they can't give it. Like, even the game companies that swear up and down that they are really adding NFTs, like big budget guys like Ubisoft, haven't ironed out what that means yet. (laughs) Yeah, part of me actually hopes something comes out of it. Because I would love to see some just, like, fucking horrendous, like, super bored ape adventure that is just, like, Super Mario Brothers and is just, like, horrendously rendered and just, like, plays, like, absolute ass. That would be fun to watch. My- a fun a fun peek into the culture of people who are actually interested in this thing, too, is notable here. For one, this has only existed for like a minute. The initial tweet about this console was only made on July 2nd, and we're recording this episode now on July 6th. The official Twitter account for Polyum only has 2,300 followers, which like is really not a lot. They're not verified, but uh, Ryan Broderick, in a follow-up to his original tweet thread where he broke some of this down, says... I joined this Web3 video game console's Discord today. Note, the Discord link is in their Twitter bio. Mm. So it's not like it's difficult. It's not like exclusive. Like they want everybody in. He says, out of morbid curiosity, and they didn't set up their server permissions right. So anyone can at the entire server. And now people are adding everyone and writing racial slurs. Oh, no. And his original tweet thread also includes a screenshot of a conversation going on in the thread where someone says... At everyone, let's watch a movie in the voice chat. And then about six people respond, Morbius. <laughs> and then one person says, could this Politinium, which is not the name of the console, console have a Morbius game? So, <laughs> so that's, that's where they're at. Morbius. <laughs> um, I actually let him do it. I'd love to see a yeah. Morbius Web 3 game. Let's make it happen, lads. 
it's just like the literal perfect meshing of like everything bad about meme culture right now yeah that was like designed in a lab that that's really all right it's it's all just picking the thing and grifting on it and it's uh, i wanted to point out too you know in the midst of all this happening literally like a couple hours before we sat down to record this news starts coming out that gamestop is laying off a shit ton of people yeah yeah from game informer too i know i i learned this because i I apparently follow one of the hosts of one of the official Game Informer podcasts on Twitter, and he tweeted something like, oh my god, this can't keep happening, I hate this. And this is like, you know, GameStop laying off people comes after a string of other companies have been laying off people, because that's just what multimedia companies do. They get bought up, they lay people off. But this one hurts a lot, particularly because just a few months ago, it was in the news that GameStop was planning on getting in on crypto. They -hmm. were going to try to cash in on this whole Web3 and NFT shit. And I think they even launched some kind of NFT marketplace. I think they did. Yeah. A few months ago. I remember people like reacting to it and being like, GameStop, you know, like of all the people. Remember the meme where they their stocks were really good and stuff? Yeah, it's it sucks. It, It really sucks because it's like now that. I don't know, it's the NFT market has quote unquote crashed so many times at this point and the web three shit just refuses to go away. And it's like we are seeing the human cost of this stuff. And the human cost of this stuff is a company sinks money into it and then when it goes bad, people get laid off. So I don't know. Yeah, it is sad. And like it was actually making me reconsider like I really do love purchasing physical games. Mm-hmm. For the most part, unless there's like some really good digital sale, like the eShop sale that happened uh, last yeah. week, like that was a great sale. So I'll take advantage of things like that occasionally, but I like buying physical. I just like having the things in my hand and it makes me wonder what that's going to look like after GameStop. Like, if am I just going to order games off of Amazon? You know, that just feels yeah meh to me. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you've ever been to a Best Buy in the past five years, but the vibes are just as off at Best Buy as they are at, at GameStop, <laughs> if not more. Ah. It smells crazy I, that in there. That does not surprise me. That does not surprise me at all. I feel like they've been in perpetual, like, we have, we're have we clearancing everything out to try and sell it at every Best Buy for yeah. the past decade. I think Best Buy is literally sustaining off of wedding registries, Black Friday, and dads who walk around the home theater section every Saturday. Who are like waiting yeah. to pull the trigger and find out the right yeah. time to bring a TV home without pissing off their wife too much? Like that is the home theater that section. is Best Buy's entire market. So they got a pretty cool home theater section. I used to really like that. Okay, one. yeah, the, it, it's still there, yeah. Magnolia. It slaps. Um, mm, that was some good shit. Yeah, I, I am. I actually am kind of sad about this. I really am worried about like the future of GameStop. I've been a pro player, literally, or a pro whatever uh member since i was like eight and i don't Shit, know really? there's a lot of, you get a lot of points dude like yeah, what happens that's true what happens there I've, I've put a lot of blood sweat and tears in that and where else can you buy a game and also like a bulbasaur chain wallet nowhere else who else is doing that don't worry though tori because what's probably going to happen is rather than go under gamestop will probably just be bought by a larger entity and continue to function like a husk of itself Oh, that's true. Which is an excellent segue to our next news item. Uh, Tori, tell me more about corporate consolidation and things we love 
we love his children coming back as weird soulless ghosts of themselves. Yeah, speaking of things coming back, like straight up like zombies, um, E3 is back. E3 is coming back next year. It's supposed to be held, I believe, in Los Angeles. And they're like, don't worry, like pandemic, I don't know her. Summer Games Fest, Nintendo Directs, who is she? Um, who is who is who she? is she? Uh, we're all gonna cram into a convention center, like just all the sweaty gamers, and we're gonna act like it's two thousand and five. I don't know, like why? Well, I don't, I don't understand this. They haven't really done one of these since like twenty nineteen, and it seems like the games industry has not crashed and burned. So I don't know what makes them think they're so essential. Um, how, what do you think? Is this, is this just so weird to me? My thought is, like, from a corporate standpoint, it makes perfect sense to try and relaunch this. You know, like, the E3 was bought up by uh, a company called Read Pop, and these guys are responsible for also running huge cons like Comic-Con and Star Wars Celebration. So, like, this is their whole shtick. But, yeah, so on one hand, E3 has huge name recognition, and... It it has all it has had that since like the early two thousands when it kicked up and has been such a big deal in gaming. But like you said, companies have proven at this point for the past two years that the more they shift to the Nintendo model, or even if they shift towards harder into the summer games fest, which is basically the same as E three, just a hundred percent virtually, they can kinda do whatever they want and that has to keep costs down. Like I'm I'm sure it's a drop in the bucket to a big company like a Sony or a Microsoft, but like it it has to move the ticker in some direction to be able to say you're not carting out a bunch of employees and a bunch of computers and a bunch of shit out to California so that you can show your shit off for a three-day weekend and get a thousand games journalists in there to write about everything. Like It makes sense from this company's standpoint, but I would honestly be kind of surprised if the big companies like your PlayStations and your Ubisofts and your Bethesdas and Microsofts don't send anything more than like their B team. The only way I can really see this working is if they kind of rebranded to be like really emphasizing the importance of an in-person experience and made it more of yeah. like a con con with some game announcements. You know what I mean? Like if they just made it like a heavier video gamey comic con. They do like GameStop where like selling games isn't enough so they gotta have like Funko Pops and shit. This yeah. is I can see E3 being that, but man, just what Or maybe like, yeah, maybe a focus on panels the way Comic-Con and Star Wars Celebration do. Yeah. You know? Like if you could promise people that a benefit of getting them to stay at a hotel to come to a convention center is that they could sit in a room and they could hear like the developers from Devolver Digital talk about their next new game or they could get like the guy who voices Kratos and the people from sony santa monica or playstation santa monica in the same room together like i can see that being a, a pull and maybe under a company whose whole thing is doing stuff like that that might be the direction it moves in because yeah you, you make a good point i mean summer games fest and stuff like that has kind of shown that the purely spectacle new release side of e3 is just as doable digitally and you probably reach more people that way so yeah i don't know yeah that's that's interesting you know what i just realized when did twitch hmm. like come out i'm trying to remember uh 2007 wow 
How do you fucking know? Wow, yeah, it's been around. But I just feel like Twitch didn't get popular until you and I were in college. I mean, there were some highlights of it when we were in high school. Because I remember watching Twitch plays Pokemon in my sophomore year chemistry class. And, like, fucking off in that class so that we could watch Twitch plays Pokemon instead of actually working. Mm. Did you watch Twitch plays Pokemon? No, I didn't, actually. Oh, my God. Are you familiar at all with what this is? No. Literally, I have no idea. I did not. Oh, my not. God. thing okay. is, I, this is, like, such a bimbo thing to say. I did not go on Twitch at all until I started dating Jesse. And then I was oh, wow. like, oh, nice. This is, like, Let's Play, but streaming. So, cool. Twitch Plays Pokemon happens in 2014. Twitch already had, like, a relatively large following at this play- point. But, like, this was, this was, like, a huge moment for Twitch. Um, according to wikipedia's article about this and they have all their stuff sourced so i trust them it says that it had an average concurrent viewership this stream they were doing of eighty thousand people so twitch plays pokemon was functionally a social experiment that was set up on this twitch channel where they uploaded a rom of pokemon red and they somehow did something so that the game was programmed to follow the commands of what chat said so when someone in chat typed right the character in Pokemon Red would go right. Oh, interesting. And so so initially it doesn't have like an enormous following and it's like people in the like 20, 30 people working together to kind of like try and sort this Collectively out. Collectively oh play God, a game. Exactly, yeah. But over time, I, like I said, it peaks at 80,000 concurrent viewers. Like it reaches a point where it has completely gone off the rails. Thousands of people in the chat trying to all send stuff at the same time. Like, there, there was so much lore built around it. If you go to the Bulbapedia page for Twitch Plays Pokemon, there's an entire subset for lore because it was like people, it took people about 15 seconds to graft pseudo-religious iconography onto this shit, which probably proved something in this person's social experiment. But it was like 30 minutes in, it, let's say the, it was, yeah, the team's Pidgey, which all the Pokemon's names were like A-A-A-A or blanks or stuff like that because it was nonsense when they tried to get to the naming screen like they beat one of the gyms with the pidgey at like one hp and so people just called the pidgey bird jesus and it stayed like that forever or like one running gag was whether it was accidentally initially it started to become less accidental later on they kept the crowd kept steering the character in battle rather to fight rather rather than fighting to open up their bag and inspect the helix fossil that they had and to just, like, continually inspect it. So there was this running gag that was, like, oh we're, we're running to, we're talking to Lord Helix. We're seeking the guidance of Lord Helix. It's really fascinating. There was a minute midway through the run that there were so many people watching it that the people behind it had to institute a system called democracy and anarchy. And it would switch back and forth based on a vote, I believe. And then eventually it would switch back and forth on times. It was kind of all over the place. But in democracy, it would count over the span of like 30 seconds or something like that and the command that was typed in the most would be the command that goes into the game and it when anarchy every single command that was being typed in would go so it was it was fascinating it was so interesting this should be like a political science case study like what if we ran the country the way we ran this twitch pokemon (laughs) channel it was fascinating and it was really fun at the time because there was so much like word of mouth interest in it on social media and even like I had friends in person who were watching it too. Like I, I had a, a friend of mine in high school, we would like see each other in between classes and be like, 
oh my god, did you see Twitch plays Pokemon? They got the seventh gym badge. They're on their way back. Like it was, it was so much fun, and they kind of tried to keep the fun going for a bit. I know they did a run of Pokemon Crystal. I kept up with that one a little bit. But the viewership dropped quite a bit. I remember hearing one thing that during their Pokemon X run, they somehow managed to like get out of the game and go into the home screen of the 3DS that was being emulated on Twitch. Yeah. Like that might just be an urban legend, but yeah, it was it was a complete mess and it was really fun, but I don't know. I I definitely that in my mind was like as somebody who wasn't really following Twitch at the time was like a high bleh, was like a high watermark for it as like, oh, this is what this kind of platform can do. Wow. That is that's actually really something. Yeah. That's amazing. It actually has the world record for most participants in a single player online video game with uh over one point one million people. Does it really? Yeah, according to Wikipedia. That's really something. The team that they finished the game with, I found this photo on the Twitch Plays wiki, and I will drop a link to it in the description. It includes the, the nicknames that they were named in-game and the names that were given to them by chat, colloquially. So, like, there's an Omanite whose name was just Omanite, but people referred to him as Lord Helix. And then there was a Pidgeot whose name was A-A-A-B-A-A-A-J-S-S, but people called him Bird Jesus, or... Uh, there was a Nido King named the Fawns by the <laughs> chat, but his his name was A A A A A A A A in all caps. So it was like, it was it was shit like that. Like people would come up with these names in chat and in Reddit threads and in forums, and that would just kind of stick in terms of talking about it. Like I want to say I watched a YouTube video that broke down kind of the story of it a while back, and if I can find that, I'll drop that in the description as well. It's it's very fun. It was a very cool moment for like this kind of concurrent fandom that just suddenly built up around something so tori we got a listener question and it's one that i think you are probably more equipped to provide a coherent answer to than i am okay ask away listener ryan a friend of mine as well asked me if you or i would recommend shin megami tensei 5 to a total noob of that series kind of iffy on jrpgs also sort of a noob in there but a pokemon fan so Ryan went on to clarify that he purchased Shin Megami Tensei 5, 3, and Persona 4, Ooh. but was kind of uh, paralyzed by choice. Couldn't decide which of these that he wanted to check out. Hasn't played Persona 4 yet. Is, didn't want to wait for the Switch re-releases. Has kind of not really been crazy into uh, some of these longer, more complex JRPGs but is playing Xenoblade 2 right now and enjoying Xenoblade mm. 2. So we got Pokemon fan, we got he's enjoying Xenoblade 2, and he said Xenoblade 2 is kind of what opened him up to like, oh, maybe some of these more complex JRPGs, like more complex than Pokemon, are something I could delve into. So okay, what do you think? So what I think is for someone like him, so like I also loved Pokemon, and mm -hmm. that was really the only JRPG I played besides, like, some Final Fantasy games, um, but never to completion, uh, and, like, Kingdom Hearts. But I would say he should start with Persona 4. Um, the reason why, because that's actually the first, like, Shin Megami Tensei-related game I played. And the reason why is because... Um, the Shibagami Tensei games have very weird storylines, in my opinion. Like, the stories are kind of 
disjointed. It's more, in my opinion, at least, more about vibe than story sometimes. Whereas with games like Xenoblade, I played Xenoblade Chronicles a long time ago. I've forgotten a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But there is a group dynamic with your party and, and storylines between them and, and the relationships between them, which makes me favor Persona 4 more for this person. Mm -hmm. Because, like, Persona 4 is all about the relationships that you have with people in your party and the friendships that they have with each other. And that's really important. Um, yeah. And yeah, the game can be a bit of a slog. It is quite long. Um, but like, I do like how after each dungeon, there's a break. There's a good point to take a break. And like, if you want to play another game and come back a month from now, you could probably do that. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, with some of the Shimagami Tensei games, I feel like there's not the, the breaking points are not quite as clean, at least in my experience with SMT5. So yeah, huh. I would say. I would say Persona 4 is a good, like, baby's first long JRPG. Mm -hmm. My thought with having not played Shin Megami Tensei 5 specifically, but having experience with the series, because I've played, like, 85% of 4, I think the Persona games are probably a better on-ramp onto the battle system of those games. Yes. Because for, for people who are not aware... The Persona series started as a sub-series of the Shin Megami Tensei RPG games proper. It's kind of evolved into its own enormous thing, so much so that they've dropped the Shin Megami Tensei bit from the beginning of the name, and they are just Persona 5 now. But because of that, they use a very similar, if not identical, nowadays battle system, and it's got a lot of the same monsters, a lot of the same moves. It's the same thing with, like, Final Fantasy has Firaga, and so does Kingdom Hearts. Like, there's a, I think there's a good on-ramp in Persona 4 because I think it by the time 4 came out, there was an assumption that you might not have played one of these other games and this might be the one that is catching your eye because where Persona 3, 4, and 5 at least have this very like J-pop, very bright primary color aesthetic, the Shin Megami Tensei games proper are very dour. It is always yeah. apocalypse. It is heavy philosophy shit about whether order or anarchy are the correct ways to order a society like really heavy and I don't mean that as a detractor I find those things to be like really cool about those games but when I'm thinking of something that like will serve as my introduction to those systems and I think that's partly because Persona 4 was both of our introductions into those systems like that game is a very very tight balance of the kind of creepy, weird stuff that that series is so well known for, and the more lighthearted, like, ooh, he he, Yosuke has a crush on the girl. Yeah, there's a horny bear who has a yeah, soul. Yeah, there's a horny bear, Hor horny bear with a soul. You you won't get that shit anywhere. Yeah, else. it's very true. I will say I am immensely excited to play Persona Four on the Nintendo Switch. Me too. I think, uh, oh my god. I think. We kind of said that enough last week when we were talking about it, but I am just so immensely excited to play through that game again. I, uh, uh, well, I, I think that answers our listener question. Do you want to just go ahead and segue into what we're playing? Yeah, well, speaking of things that we are playing, yeah. you and I, <laughs> this is really something, you and I finished Persona 3 in the past couple of weeks, and then we completely, yeah, we did it, fam. Uh, I watched the cutscenes for the answer, I should be compensated. Uh, I still haven't gotten there yet, but I watched the anime cutscenes that I missed out on ooh, from the PS2 They go version. so hard, don't they? Ooh, oh they my were god. good. 
You got cutscenes for everything. Oh my Half god! Half the cutscenes in this like the YouTube video. I was watching a YouTube video that was like all Persona Three FES cutscenes because the Persona Three Portable one of the one of the cuts they had to make in order to fit that game onto a UMD disc was that they had to cut out all the anime cutscenes. So like, I, I it was some of those little cutscenes would be like thirty second little teasers of like a new location or like when they went to the beach. That's class trip. Oh yeah, it was like a fifteen second clip of like the water and i was like man fuck off i didn't get any of it yeah there's some scenes but, that really go hard but that'll be for our next episode because i want to go into detail yeah, about later we'll talk we'll talk in depth yes. but anyway we finished these games and then completely independently of each other we both started watching or playing persona 4 arena like <laughs> yeah we, we both like i love how we we're both like oh we can't do that long jrpg like this again like that was too much oh my god we're so burnt out and then we're both like so yeah i've been playing persona 4 arena and yeah. I just, like, love these characters so much. And, like, Mitsuru is, like, a, a real girl boss now. And, like, and Akihiko is, like, a hot bounty hunter. And there's just a lot going yeah. on. Um, So I just, we've oh, both been playing so cool. that. Yeah. We've, we've both been playing it. How have you been playing? You said you were initially watching the cutscenes, right? Because I bought, I bought Persona 4 Arena on the PlayStation Store on my PS3 probably, like, 10 years ago now. Right oh after God. I beat Persona 4 the first time. Because Arena had only been out for a little bit, and I think Ultimax was either coming out or, like, not quite out yet, something like that. So I bought Arena right after I beat Persona 4, because I was like, I am in love with these characters. And I ended up downloading it. I was not particularly smitten with the visual novel aspect of it, because the story mode of the game is, like... It kind of drags. Fighting game story modes tend to get pitched to you as like it's going to be more fighting than story. But in order to tell a coherent story, it's like 80% visual novel yeah. with like three battles in a two plus hour story mode. So I, I wasn't crazy about that. And plus, and, and I'm waiting, I, I'm cutting you off because I'm sure you're going to go more in depth with this. But the story of Persona 4 Arena to follow the Persona 4 characters actually requires a solid base of understanding of the plot of Persona 3, which I did not have at the time. <laughs> yeah, there is that. There's that whole thing. So what I did is I was watching the cutscenes, and there's like mm -hmm. literally this 12-hour-long YouTube video of every <laughs> single visual novel. And so I watched the first two hours, because that was Labrys, mm -hmm. which was like really sad. First of all, I fucking hate her accent. It is like the worst Brooklyn accent I've ever heard in my entire life but okay like it's so bad but anyway so i watched like the first couple hours and then what i noticed is like they so they keep introducing each character from persona 4 persona 3 and they keep being like i'm this person i fought in this battle with these people mm -hmm. and here's where i am now and it gets really repetitive after the first couple times so it, i realized that there was like a formula so i started skipping certain scenes and only getting to scenes oh, just okay. before battles because those are actually like mm -hmm. story Marks. That's when people talk. Yeah. That's when cutscenes happen. Because the rest, like, there's literally a whole hour long scene that's like Naoto on a plane that's being hijacked. And then oh, okay. I guess <laughs> literally being in like like the CIA or some shit. And you're like, what? What the fuck? And it like goes on for an hour. It's a lot of like, I was stammering as the sun was setting. It was like a lot of like yeah. real first person novel yeah. stuff. That I was like, oh my God. Like, let me get to the next part. So I ended up fishing up the cutscenes. In like a day, and I just read the Wikipedia synopsis, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm actually playing Ultimax, so I think I'm ahead of okay. you. Yeah, you are. It, it fascinates me because it's like 
Persona 4, Persona 4 Arena Ultimax is the one that is available on Switch and PS4 and whatever. Correct me, did you ever find out, is the story for the original Persona 4 Arena, because yes. Ultimax is technically the sequel, the original story is in this version. Though, yeah, right? when you open it up, it's literally like, what, what story do you want to play? Do you want to play the new story, or do you want to play the story of Persona 4 Arena? That's so cool. So, like, yeah, it's great. I'm just so smitten with the idea that, like, Arena's story, while very clunky, it is incredibly clunky, especially, oh like you God. said, the way it's told. With these like hour long chunks of just text in first person where you're just like, I guess, thought when she looked into the sky and shit like that. Like it's so clunky, but it's really endearing the way one, you get to see characters from three and four interact. And it's very funny for me because like when I initially got the game, like I said, like a decade ago, I got it with the intention of following the four characters. But having just beaten three, it's now been so long since I played four that I have forgotten these characters' intentions and, like, what their deal is. So it's, like, Yukiko comes on screen, and I'm, like, I don't even remember what your deal is, dude. Like, I don't even know what's happening Oh, really? I remember it pretty well. But, yeah, yeah. I I can see that being a thing. But it's just, like, it's so rare that in a game like this, especially in a series that is, like, so... Its whole thing is following high school age characters. It's so rare to be able to see them beyond that age. And it's so mm. cool to be able to take these characters and characters that you like really grew to love in a 70, 80, 90, 100 hour RPG and like actually get to see with what their lives are like, like three, four years down the line. And it also like connects the stories of three and four in a really interesting way. Yeah. Like, obviously, don't want to spoil anything since four and three are about both about to become like very accessible to people but it kind of reveals that some characters sort of kind of had an idea of the events of both games happening which kind of is neat because five is so disjointed from the rest of the series yeah and, it, and none of the spin-offs other than the one on the ds have really done anything to kind of like combine these old stories together Whereas whereas three and four were like intrinsically linked in really cool ways. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a bummer to me that five, they didn't make an effort to combine five with the previous lore as much, but it's cool that they did it for three and four. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, And in Ultimax, you see more Persona 3 characters and Ooh. I don't want to spoil it for you, but like uh-huh. Ken, Aww. my heart, really? my son, Ugh, I just... I, I love seeing him there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we've been playing that. Uh, well, well, hold on. We talked a lot about the story. Are you enjoying, like, the battling? Like, are you enjoying the fighting? Bro, I haven't even it? fought. I haven't even fought because I watched <laughs> the whole arena storyline on YouTube. Okay. And then I'm, like, an hour in Arena Ultimax, and I have not fought. And you haven't even had a battle yet? Yeah. When I was watching the this 12-hour-long YouTube video of Arena mm-hmm. that I kept skipping around, you do not see the first major battle till like, hour four. Wow. So like this is that kind of tells you everything. This isn't a fighting game. game. This is a visual novel that occasionally has fights. And the funny thing too is like the fighting game that it's built into is like good. Like it's an Arc Systems fighting game. Have you have you played like Blaze Blue or Guilty Gear or any of those? Yeah, I played the Guilty Gear a little bit. Like it like it got the Game Award nomination in 2012 for best fighting game. Like the actual fighting parts of this game are quite good. Great. Yeah, Yeah, they're really good. But that's just not. The majority of the game at all it's not as complex as like the other arc system games like blaze blue or guilty gear but i really like the way like you have 
instead of a light, medium, heavy move the way you would in normal 2D fighting games like this, you have a light and a heavy normal attack and then a, a light and a heavy persona attack. And it, it reminds me of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fighting game for the Dreamcast and the PS1, where if you're attacked while your persona is out, you can temporarily break your persona and prevent you from using those moves, which is the same way in the JoJo mm-hmm. game, where like if you're attacked while your stand is out, it prevents you from using your stand. So it's it's like a pretty good fight. It's not like the best fighter I've ever played, but it's one of those ones that like when you know all the characters and if you go in already like, oh my God, I love all these people. Like it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. So we've both been chugging away at that. Um, I played and finished that indie game I was talking about a while back called Iconoclast. Um, I would I would recommend this game to you, Noah. Yeah. This is a good puzzle metroidvania i will say some of the puzzles are what i would call clever but not intuitive like there were some puzzles that i i like i just had to look up a youtube video of it and it's funny because like the youtube video like person who uploaded the youtube video of them doing it also got stuck in the exact same part and like like (laughs) screen captured that too which made me feel like less of an idiot um but yeah there are certain like if i google like iconoclast gear puzzle this like it'll autocomplete to like be that level because so many people have googled like this particular puzzle because it's so mm. fucking hard um <laughs> i love that so there's kind of like annoying things in there where you're like you really have to figure it out there's also certain boss battles where you're like what but i eventually figure them out it's almost like the person who made them obviously has a very intimate knowledge of the game he's making because it was literally made by one person and yeah. he made it and like Maybe it should have gone gone through like a couple other players to be like, hey, I didn't get that or like mm-hmm. that type of thing. But besides that, it was solid and really good story, really good characters, good music. Oh my god, the music was really, really good. Um, That's cool. So I do recommend it if you want like a a challenging puzzle game for sure. And there's like three different <laughs> difficulty modes too. Um, besides that, I have been playing a lot of Fall Guys. I won mm-hmm. my first solo show. Like sixty people were there, and I came out victorious, and it was great. Yes, I felt so good about that. And then I was like, I want to do that again. And so I did another solo show, and I didn't even make it past the first round. So nice, just, yeah. Gotta love, gotta love games like that. That's uh, Fall Guys will make you feel great, and will also humble you. Um, and then besides <laughs> that, I've been reading this. Um, speaking of horrible current events. I've mm-hmm. been reading this book called The New Handbook for a Post-Row America. Mm-hmm. Pretty self-explanatory. It goes into detail talking about like landmark cases that undermined Roe, setting us up for this moment. This book was written last year. Or it was oh, it was wow. written in 2018, but then they the author released an updated edition last year, but extremely mm-hmm. relevant for very obvious reasons. And talks yeah. about like how Roe has been slowly undermined and basically what is happening now is really not a surprise. Um and then it goes into depth on, like, literally the most basic stuff on, like, she has a whole section that's, like, if you grew up in the state with abstinence-only sex ed, here is how, like, conception actually works. Um, which, like, a lot of that stuff I knew, but I didn't, like, put together two and two. Like, I knew in college, like, if you take plan B, you're supposed to take it within five days of having had sex with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really understand why. <laughs> I just like mm-hmm. knew that was like the rule, and it's a rule because it takes five days for a fertilized egg to be implanted. Wow! So like that's 
And that's when medically you are considered pregnant once the egg has been implanted because then you get hormones that show up in your urine, which would make a pregnancy test positive. You're teaching me things too. Literally, yeah, bro. Sex, yeah. sex ed in the state of Florida Wait, was not yeah. that good. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. I was like, how did I not know the actual science of getting pregnant? And I can get pregnant. That's wild. Because we live in the United States, yeah. dog. That's, that's that's why. So just interesting things like that. And then she goes into like dilemmas of like potential scenarios. She's like, Roka overturned. Should I buy a shit ton of Plan B pills? And she goes into like, why you shouldn't? Or maybe only buy a few. And if you buy some, buy some online instead of at like CVS. Because if you buy one in person at a pharmacy, you're taking away stock from someone who needs it right now. Whereas if you don't need it right now and you order it online and you're willing to wait a couple days, you're Mm -hmm. freeing up that space for someone at the drugstore who needs it right now. Um, So just like she just considers a lot of these issues that come up in a post-row world from very educated perspective and fairly, very informative. So that's really interesting. What about you? I... So my brain has kind of been like mush for the past week. So I have not been reading or watching anything near as... uh, near as important i guess you could say with a capital i is that i've mostly been like trying to get through the day of work and fighting my horrific sinus symptoms that Mm. has left me with um my one of my big plays this past week is that i i jumped into a covid comfort game and i started a new game of pokemon heart gold just to kind of like have something on in the background of my brain when i was like all right, you need to go lay down now and like take some rest. Um, I don't really have much to say about this. I think I said last week when we were talking to Emily that I I kind of played the Pokemon games a lot of the time, like Brain Off, and Gen mm. 2 is like a personal favorite of mine. So this is like a very Brain Off activity for me. But Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver are still great. They're they're ones of those games that I think it's like $70, $80 to find a physical copy of them anywhere. It's not like I can say like, oh my God, rush to eBay and buy a copy of Heart Gold. Like, it's a great game, but it's it's very hard to get a copy of. I just happen to still have my copies from when I was like a kid. But it, it's a good game. I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm doing my normal playthrough of the Johto games where I chose Chikorita as my starter because that's just how I am. But it's just nice to have like a Pokemon game in the background to be like, uh, my sinuses are killing me. I have to keep blowing my nose. I'm just gonna go play Pokemon. Good game. Enjoying that. I uh, I redownloaded Fortnite ahead of my regular schedule. Yeah, mostly because some friends of mine are actively playing it, including one who also has COVID at the same time as me. So I got on a few nights ago and I played a couple of games of Fortnite with them. Fortnite is a game I have mostly engaged with on solo and have complained about like the game, but. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, in a squad with somebody, when you're all in voice chat, like, that is obviously the way this game was supposed to be played. We, we were yeah. playing it in this one game in a quads match, so there was four of us, and we, we had stayed outside of the ring for too long looting somewhere, and so I went and grabbed a pickup truck, and I was like, hey, everybody, get my pickup truck. So one of them is in the passenger side, and the other two are in the bed of the truck, and everybody not driving can shoot guns, and I'm driving. And so I ended up, like, driving us to the top of a cliff face, and then driving us off the cliff face into, like, buildings below. And none of us took any damage. The pickup truck just kind of, like, smacked between buildings. I like, love clunk, that. clunk, 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 clunk. And, and so we're all on voice chat just like, all right, Noah, all right, is this going to kill us? Like, is this going to kill us? But it was it was fun. Fortnite's, Fortnite's a fine game. Uh, my, my one friend and his girlfriend who I was on voice chat with were arguing over whether or not they should put V-Bucks into the game so they could get the Darth Vader skin. So that's kind of where we're at with Fortnite right now. 
Nice. The main play that I had for this week was I bought last weekend Transistor on the Switch. This is one of the games that Emily talked about when she was telling us about her like favorite games. Yes. It is a super giant game, which as as we've pointed out and for people who might not be aware, Supergiant are the folks behind Hades. Hades was like their their big big hit. Mm-hmm. Hades like Hades blew up and I played the fuck out of Hades. And they they had some games pre Hades. Their first game as a studio was Bastion and then Transistor was their second. So Transistor is it's interesting for a lot of ways. I played and beat the game. I really enjoyed it. From a this is what leads to Hades standpoint, it was super interesting to see the way the the narrative voice and the the tight gameplay and controls kind of evolved to get you to Hades. Because one of the biggest complaints I had played Bastion a little bit after Bastion came out, because I picked it up for cheap on Steam not too long after it came out. So I like was aware of Supergiant when Transistor first came out. Oh, I Googled Transistor and all I got was pictures of actual transistors. Okay. <laughs> so Trans- Transistor came out in 2014 originally, and it's on the Nintendo Switch. It was on sale for like four bucks. And I remember one of the complaints levied at this game when it originally came out was that the combat was kind of clunky. And it, it is kind of clunky. It's kind of clunky for story reasons, too. Like, there are there are reasons that the wind-up time for all of your attacks takes so long. It's because your sword is so big and the person using it is not particularly skilled at sword usage ahead of the game. But at its... So that's the, that's the metatextual stuff. That's the, I think this is an interesting game because it leads to a game that I put 80 hours into last year. On its face, Transistor is a game about a shadow government that is trying to steer the development and improvement and control of a big city called Cloud Bank. It's like a metropolis using Ooh. a semi-autonomous computer program slash AI life form thing called the process. So that's what's happening in Transistor technically. Now, all of that story stuff you could functionally ignore because it's very dense and it requires a little bit of outside reading and like notes documents that are given to you in the game. And if you don't engage with any of that, the game is functionally, and this is also the story too, it's a game about a performing artist whose name is Red who gets a cool buster sword and the sword has a crush on her. And the sword has a mind of its own and communicates to you through the game and you're picking off members of this government organization because the shadow government maybe on purpose, maybe accidentally plunged Cloud Bank into a cyberpunk hellscape. Hmm. Very interesting. I think the thing that Emily shouted out about it when she was on the show was its use of a narrator. And that is interesting. That is really cool, yeah. In in Bastion, I don't know, have you played Bastion? Have you played either of these no, games? No, I actually haven't. I haven't played any of these games. So, very curious about them. Firstly, you got to get Hades, dude. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but in Bastion, their first game, all of their games, at least the ones I've played, so like three of their four, have some kind of role that the narrator plays. In Bastion, your character is like a silent protagonist, and there is another character in the game who's narrating all your actions. So when you fall off the stage or you die, the narrator goes like, ooh, better luck next time, and shit like that. Lol. In, in Transistor... The narration is diegetic inside the narrative, and it's your sword talking to you. Your character, I don't remember if this was ever explained, and if it was, I missed it. 
your character's voice has been stolen from her. It's gone. She lost her voice. So she is not talking. The sword doesn't shut up. He is the, he's kind of like a sarcastic, sardonic voice that continues through the entire game. And there are several times where he talks directly to other characters that are on screen. So you're only, you do not have a voice to engage with this world. Your weapon has a voice to engage with this world, but the weapon might have different motives than you. It's unclear whether or not you guys are on the same page on things. And I'm not going to spoil anything because I really think people should go play this. There's a moment later in the game where you're, you're able to interface with these computer terminals that are around CloudBank, and you can leave comments on them sometimes. Like, you get an A button prompt, and A is, like, all you can do to interact with it, and you leave comments, but it's your character that's leaving the comments. So this is, like, the only time you're able to see your character's voice. So there's a couple of times huh. when you're leaving comments that it's, like, the only way I have any idea what kind of a personality this character has is based on, like, a text entry I read in the game and how she typed a response in a text box and then, like, deleted it out real quick and then typed something else. So it's... Oh, that's It's cool. really... Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. And it's one of those games that I got to the end of and I was like, all right, time to pull up the Wikipedia page and figure out what some of that stuff was about because I missed some stuff. But it was, it was really neat. I, I would definitely recommend it as long as... You are able to come to terms with the fact that you might never fully grok the combat system. I was fighting the final boss, and I was like, I still don't feel like I fully get this. <laughs> <laughs> you ever have that in games where it's like, yeah. it's just like, you're waiting for that moment, that aha moment where the combat clicks, or like an important mechanic. It's like parry mechanics in some games. Like, you're you're waiting for the moment where it's eventually going to all click into place, and it just never does. And here you are fighting the final boss and you're like just barely eking through because you just don't 100% understand the combat. So that's where I was with that. But yeah. I, I would recommend it. I would recommend it for people who have played Supergiant games and are kind of looking for something else that has a really strong voice the way, the way Hades or the way another one of these you played had. Or just for anybody that likes like really cool aesthetically designed cyberpunk that has something it wants to say however dense that might be about like narratorial voices and about the role of like a an elite literati in a society and whether or not they should be the ones calling the shots and that kind of thing yeah that sounds really interesting i yeah i have a backlog uh that i'm trying to work my way through so i have the persona 4 arena ultimax i have catherine full body so the two games i got for the switch on the eShop sale i have fire emblem three houses Oh, I'm, I forgot you got that. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly. That's one of those games. Like, I want to play it, and like every, every, every couple of days, I'm like, oh, I should crack the open. But I'm like, that shit will ruin my life. Yeah, so I you're can't. gonna get sucked in. You're yeah, gonna get sucked in. I'm not ready for another super long game like that. And then yeah. I have the Kingdom Hearts box set. Um, oh, you bought it? Yeah, I did. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because like at one point it was like twenty nine dollars, and I was like, oh, I have to do this now. Um. And so yeah, that that's that's the current backlog I have. What I, console did you get it for? A PS4. Oh okay, yeah, PS4, and it'll run on PS5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that'll look really good. I'm trying to not buy more games. I'm trying to work through the backlog. I'm also like, oh, my backlog has a bunch of long ass games. So, yeah. Yeah, I might get a little something, something. Damn. Yeah, pick it up. It's really cool. I don't think it's gonna be on sale on the Switch anymore because there was like a real long nintendo switch eShop sale yeah 
Oh, another thing I have in my backlog. I also have Hollow Knight because... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jesse and I have, like, two different counts on the Switch, and he has Hollow Knight, mm-hmm. and I can play it. So... I think Hollow Knight you could probably knock out in, like, a good 10 hours. Like, it's it's not a quick game, but it's not... I mean, it's a Metroidvania, so it's, like, it's one of those games that if you if you have an understanding of how Metroidvanias work and you're not the type who gets lost super easily... I found myself when I played it for the first time, there were a couple of times where I was like, I don't know where the fuck to go. And that definitely like added an hour or two to my play. But yeah. Nice. And I think that's it. Yeah. I, uh, the only other thing I have that I was like playing, quote unquote, is uh, I'm really bummed that Spy Family, the anime, is on hiatus until October. Uh, now. I got really you bummed hooked. About that. You got me hooked on that shit. Yeah. It's really good. And uh, I'm. Just I, I was like all ready to sit down this Saturday and watch the new episode when it was on Hulu and my girlfriend and I sat down, we were like, Time to watch Spy Family and there was no new episode. So I'm over here Googling and finding things on like animenewsnetwork.com that are like Spy Family cancelled or not cancelled, but Spy Family its hiatus begins now and ends in October. And I was like, Man, I was enjoying that shit. I was enjoying like a good weekly sit down thirty minute anime, but alas, that's where we are. I think that's all we got, though. Yeah, it is. Tori, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore as underscore always. You can find me on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S, probably posting pictures of my cat. I do that a lot on social media because I love him, even when he tries to interrupt our podcasting by smacking his head up against my microphone. You can find the show on Twitter at press underscore start pod. If you have any gaming quandaries or questions that you want to send our way, you're welcome to email us at heypressstart at gmail.com. All of our cool music is from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their music at n-o-a-h-g-e-i-s-t dot bandcamp dot com. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And I think that brings us to a close. Um, you going to go play a game that has hot shirtless anime dude in it? Absolutely. I have like Absolutely. five of them. Everybody go enjoy a game with a hot shirtless anime dude in it. And thanks for listening. Hold on, I'm going to take this plastic bag away from my cat. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cashew. He found this big plastic bag he really likes. And I love him, but he likes laying on top of it. And that's audio hell. Okay. So, okay, now I'm done. <laughs>